0: The largest climate protest since the start of the pandemic is taking place around the world today with more than 1,500 demonstrations in over 80 countries. They are organized by Fridays for Future the youth-led movement calling for urgent action to avert catastrophic climate change.
1: If we want to ensure a safe presence and a future on planet Earth, we need to be active democratic citizens and go out on the streets like we are doing today. We must keep going into the streets and we must keep demanding our leaders to take real climate action. We must never give up. There is no going back now. But we can still turn this around. People are ready for change. We want change. We demand change, and we are
2: the change.
1: They say patience is a virtue. But I can wait as long to do for a change. Call me insane but. That's my. Yeah, yeah. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fifth and final episode of our third season of untelevised the podcast Um, untelevised is a platform which explores possibilities for social change and grassroots work in particular and how all of us as sort of citizens of the world um, can get involved in creating social change my name is mona and i am with my co-host fazeo Hi everyone, welcome. I feel like there were so many numbers in that (laughs) introduction, the third episode of this, this, but hi, hi. Tripping people up before we've even got into the (laughs) actual complex stuff, but yes, keeping you on your toes. Um, So this season, for any one of you who's only just joined us now at the sort of, you know, bitter end, um, is a collaboration with the Lush Spring Prize, uh, which is a prize Given to regenerative grassroots projects internationally every two years and is organized in partnership between Lush, the cosmetics company, and Ethical Consumer Magazine. Um, And they ran this um, award ceremony back in October, which we had the immense pleasure of being a part of um, up in Glasgow, just ahead of COP26. And because we've just had COP26, the focus very much has been on the climate emergency, on climate justice, on alternatives to how we might bring about kind of climate justice in the world. And so, this little mini season that we've done is focused entirely on that movement. We have so far heard about whether climate change can actually be achieved within capitalism. We've then had an episode on how we finance this movement while we are in capitalism, what is the best way to ethically bring about funding. Um, We then heard last time about what it means when movements and causes that may originally have been quite fringe or quite radical, in this case, the climate movement, come into the mainstream. Does it mean they have succeeded or does it mean they've been diluted? And today... We are focusing on the role of young people in this movement because almost more than I think any political cause that I can think of, at least in recent time, that is a demographic of people we keep hearing about in conjunction with fighting for climate justice.
2: Yeah yeah like the posters all feature young faces the voices that you think of when you think of climate activists are all young people like greta tungberg and people like that so for sure definitely they've become the face of the movement and also who a lot of the like promotion and paraphernalia is like targeted at, i
1: would say so yeah, yeah definitely um and so we thought we'd ask actually you know is this an honor for young people? Um, Is it just a pure and simple necessity? Is it a burden? Should they not have been stuck with this fight, which in arguably has been created by older generations? Or is it actually just right and fair that they have more energy, they have more time in their lives and it's their future. So why shouldn't they fight for it? And actually, what does it mean for a political movement if, It is primarily led by younger generations. What does that add? What does it potentially lose? And how do young people themselves view their role in it? Like we speak about them, but how do they feel about it? So yeah, just a few questions there. (laughs) As always, a very light episode ahead of us. (laughs) But yeah, I guess we should maybe find out a little bit about what this all means. Yeah, let's jump into our learn
2: section. (laughs) so learn um this week it feels a bit weird because i guess essentially we're defining youth which (laughs) i guess everyone has some concept of but for the purpose of this episode a young person is going to be anyone that is under the age of 30 and we're borrowing this distinction from extinction rebellion youth who said that they chose this cutoff because in 1990 The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published their first report, and that is when the United Nations started negotiating around climate change. So any person that was born after this time, who are currently under 30, were all born in a time where climate and ecological crisis has been seen as an emergency. So they are people that know no different, basically. So that's why 30 is generally across climate youth organisations, the cutoff point where they describe someone as a young person. So we're going to borrow that. Now, some quick statistics to put everything in context. When we were looking into this episode, we found um, a 2021 global survey that was conducted amongst young people aged between 16 and 25, And it was conducted in 10 countries around the world. And it found some really, well, I at least was shocked at the statistics that came out of it. They're quite damning. So it found that nearly 60% of young people are very worried or extremely worried about climate change. More than 45% said that they feel that climate change affects their daily lives. 75% say that they think the future is frightening. And 56% say that they think that humanity is doomed. (laughs) So some really strong statistics there. And really importantly, in that report as well, it emphasized how young people are feeling betrayed, ignored, and abandoned by politicians and adults um, and the generations above them. And it coined a term called eco-anxiety and said that it's not just being caused by environmental destruction, but it's also being linked to the inaction of our governments. So um, again, some statistics around that, 65% of young people feel that their governments are failing them and 69% feel that the government cannot be trusted. And in the UK where we are based and speaking from, 72% of young people feel that they cannot trust the government around climate change. Some some really, really damning stats there and quite a unanimous voice I feel coming from young people.
1: Whew, okay, um, so um, just some, some another bit of terminology um, that has been used a lot actually in this whole season, so apologies that we're only just defining it now, um, but you will probably hear the terms global north and global south. Um, now, these reference not actually geographical um, places in the world, um, but it ref- refers to grouping of countries that share similar socio-economic and political characteristics. So the global south is a term often used to identify lower income countries, um, you know, on this kind of so-called divide. And that might be where people used to say developing countries. Um, and global north refers to the opposite. So, you know, um, like wealthier economic countries or what people may have previously described as the developed world so that's what we're moving away from um but for example a country like australia which you know who we spoke to last week who everybody will geographically recognize as being in the southern hemisphere being very far south is actually part of the global north so it's more characteristics than it is geography
2: yeah that's really interesting you know because although i use the term a lot i didn't I had a feeling that it wasn't strictly geographical, but I didn't actually know for sure which countries were in which distinction. So it's really good we're actually defining that now, as I've been using it constantly <laughs> without technically knowing. I kind of use it interchangeably with the West, which I guess isn't technically the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, so global North, I guess, is what people would also maybe refer to as the West, but you know, again, obviously the- these things keep changing, and are and certain countries almost like maybe move from one. You know, we you know there are- we keep hearing about new superpowers. You know, China. China. China, Brazil, India, whatever. So, you know, countries might move through these characteristics, but nonetheless, for the purposes of um, this season and, you know, any other time you hear those terms, that will be it. And you can find the list of exact countries under each if you do, do a little Google search and we won't, you know, read them all out to you now. Great. Let's hear from our guests. So this week I spoke to Sinead Magna, who is part of something called the UK Youth Climate Coalition. This is a coalition of young people, 18 to 29 year olds, again under 30, who believe that climate change is imminent, man-made, and will exasperate the already damaging structures of oppression that exist in society. And they therefore strive to not only tackle climate change at its core, but to challenge the roots of social and climate injustice to create a better world for all, a sustainable world in which current and future generations enjoy and protect a healthy environment." Um, Sinead is from Belfast and alongside volunteering with this coalition, because it's a voluntary coalition, she's also a researcher with the Green Party of Northern Ireland. We aim to
0: empower young people in a uh, face of something that's really scary and sometimes you can feel powerless in the face of it and hopeless in the face of it and angry and sad and... Um, a way around that uh, I have found and as a group we have found is activism and finding your power in your anger and moving from anger to to action and hope and solidarity when you're feeling overwhelmed and sad and in despair um, understanding climate change as a problem that is very imminent and current that's man-made that is um, worsening and will worsen the inequalities, like the structural inequalities that already exist and seeing climate justice like everything that we do through the lens of, of genuine climate justice. You know, we want to empower young people, but we also want to empower other marginalized groups um,
1: to, to find their voice I really like that what you said finding power in your anger I think that's really nice actually and um, in our previous episode we had our guests reflect a lot on kind of again moving from maybe what we might assume as negative things like anger in activism although anger I think is probably very valid and very needed but sort of also moving to the joyful place and the 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 happiness of it and the energy that it can give you and how you That anger can be turned into fuel that drives something much more positive. So, we're dealing with some big words. And in this series, we've heard a lot of big words. And sometimes it's really helpful for people to have some of those words broken down a bit. And already, you know, you've kind of mentioned climate change, then you've mentioned climate justice. You know, you've kind of like this, like framed it in a few different ways. And I'd be interested to hear are they interchangeable? Like, are they? Are they different? Like, what should we be saying, and how would you, how would yeah. you describe it?
0: I see climate cl- climate change uh, <laughs> trips off my tongue, but you know, it's uh, an understatement. I guess we should be saying emergency and and breakdown. But those are those two things. Those two concepts, climate breakdown and climate justice, are so interconnected because climate breakdown is a, a symptom of you know this structure of extractivism capitalism colonialism patriarchy that we live in and so there is no solution to that without solving those problems and addressing those problems and seeing them as part of a structure that needs to be changed and needs to be addressed and so you can't you can't solve climate change you can tinker around the edges you know but you can't solve climate change unless
1: you end those other oppressive structures. I feel like with climate change in particular with climate justice um, as a movement you know the activism around it like almost more than any other movement it really feels like young people are kind of being hailed as like taking this fight forward and it's often said with a lot of positivity and praise and like, look at young people kind of fighting for something and standing for something. Sometimes there's an element of judgment and like they're walking out of school and what is that all about and so on. But it is a constant topic of discussion around young people's like role in this. Um, Do you feel, I mean, you're part of a kind of youth collective fighting for climate change. Um, Do you feel that this framing is, is it an honor? Like, is it a burden? Is it neither? Is it just something you've had to do out of necessity? Like, is it reasonable to say, fine, it's your future, you guys, you know, fight for it and make it what you want? Or actually, do you feel like you're just picking up the slack of, you know, what previous generations should have done and haven't? Um, how, do how do you see that, your role in that?
0: Probably a mixture of, of all of that. Um, to an extent, like, slightly s- like simplistic, I think um maybe like i think from a western viewpoint this youth climate activist and the school strike your school strikers or greta or whatever has become the image of it's what we see and it is how it's impacted our lives in the west we'll say um but I, i mean it's important to remember you know there are people that have been doing this for Centuries, you know, like you have land defenders and indigenous people, um, you know, who've been doing this for a long time. But I do, I I think it's probably not unusual to, to have young people take up the mantle for a cause, um, you know, uh, I mean, when you think of like, I don't know, like the anti-war movement in America in the 60s or the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland was mainly student led or even the anti-Iraq war um, protests in the UK. You know, when I was a child, those, I think that was like the biggest child led movement in a century. Um, It is probably unusual or unprecedented, I guess the extent of which it's, it's a global cause that spans continents and countries and I think that probably reflects the global nature of the issue but also how interconnected we are as a generation you know and the connectivity that is just part of life now.
1: I mean do you feel I mean that's some of the things you just mentioned there like do you think they might be sort of special skills or insights that young people actually are bringing to this and that they maybe are above others I mean you know is there anything specifically well placed about young people in doing this is it maybe an understanding of technology or social media is it energy just more energy that they might have or less childcare responsibilities or you know is there (laughs) is there is there things that young people bring that we can say yeah like that's actually for the better and that makes sense it's the right way to go yeah,
0: all, all all of the above, definitely. Um, it's interesting that you you mentioned childcare. I mean, um, so many people are exhausted by working and life in the way that society works at the moment. Um, so there's an aspect of that for sure. Um, definitely the tech, I think, and the connectedness. UKYCC, um, everything we do, like we're all across um GB and Northern Ireland, and we meet every week um online and um, we do almost for organizing online i think cop i was two two years into being part of the group before i met anybody in person um and it's this ability to mass organize you can do that online and you can do that like across countries and time zones um in terms of insights like i think um compared to older generations uh young people have an ability to be discerning about what they read online i don't think they're so vulnerable to misinformation and and fake news um so in terms of climate denialism i don't see that as something that is prevalent at all amongst young people unless you're really looking for it um but that kind of um misinformation doesn't seem to be something that young people um, refer to because they are able to be presented with information and be able to identify when when something's a reliable source which actually sounds like a small thing but it's huge in terms of like you know Trump in America and like Facebook and the role that that played and um, that being tech savvy and being being um, fake news savvy is a real it's a skill you know that we take for granted I think
1: that's actually interesting fake news savvy um, I like that we, we did an episode in our previous season about um, media um, actually and the sort of democratization of media what it what that means I mean is it good that everybody can speak out on anything anywhere every time you know is it Better that it's always proper, you know, I don't know, investigative journalists and reporting on things and so on. And there was really something there around that balance between making it very, making speaking out available and not an exclusive thing. And then it may be sometimes, you know, creating a, a sort of world where we literally don't have to fact check anything and, you know, anything can be said by anyone and people can take it seriously because it's online. But anyway, for anyone listening, you can yeah. refer back to, to our media episode um, if you want to hear anything on that. So I guess, Sinead, maybe in that case, counteracting to that, like is anything lost if we really just like place this whole thing on young people's shoulders and say, brilliant, you've got the energy, you're going for it. Like, let's make it this really trendy, exciting, like youth issue. Like, is it there anything lost in terms of expertise you know like if we're talking about something like climate um which you know might even have very like scientific things we might need to understand or you know I don't know economics and all this other stuff like you know is it arguable that somebody people should have had time to study that for 10 20 years or whatever before they come out and speak on it and so on like do you feel equally that we're miss- that we could be missing anything there can it dilute it
0: I think um, something is is lost if you are saying to young people pat on the back look at you protesting aren't you great and that's it and feeling like as a decision maker if you're saying like you know we went out and we tweeted them protesting or whatever but in terms of bringing young people to the table and bringing them into the room bringing them into institutions I honestly think the younger the better because these institutions and these systems don't work and the longer that you're in them the more you start to just become institutionalized and you start to think like that would never work you know in terms of economics you know um radical thought um stuff like to do with degrowth and you know changing how we measure how well an economy is performing comes up against just barriers of like that that's not a workable solution people would never go for that what else would we use we didn't use GDP to measure well-being like um the longer you're in a place the more you're when you're new you're you're able to be told you know like I've got all these great ideas and when you enter these places as you know when you start your working life or Or, you know, you become a decision maker that um, the people who've been there a long time will tell you, you know, that's not really how we do things, actually. Um, And so, no, we need to just start again and get rid of that mentality of like, that's not how things are done, because how things are done doesn't work.
1: Yeah, I think we uh, we actually in one of our first ever episodes in this podcast explored um, systems um and trying to fight for change inside of them and and what that means and actually is it doable you know can you fight from within and does it always have to be kind of fighting to bring down a system and I it is a really that that's a really interesting idea to me actually that yeah like the longer people are in them they probably can't even see the wood for the trees and you need new energy all the time otherwise things stay the same um
0: yeah and for sure like um Especially as young people, lots of our power that we get is in protest and shouting from the outside. Um, and I do think it's so important that, you know, when the opportunity presents itself to enter these halls of power, that we don't resist that. Like, I do think it's so important that we um, take our space when we can because if we don't take it someone else will take it you know um and it's so important you know as all of these young people and children they will get older and like lots of us will will become decision makers and it's important to to not be so resistant to the institutions that we think that's not the place for me because i think as an activist um there is lots of merit in saying that change doesn't happen but via politicians and I have found that that like where I get my fulfillment and my satisfaction is in grassroots activism but we need you know we need people in the room as well it's so important um but it's also important that when the time comes for that to happen, that we don't get talked out of it to say, you know, that's not how things are done here. You know, it's so important to maintain these networks and stay grounded within them and keep talking to them. Um, so that when you, when you take your place that you're not, um, forgetting where you came from
1: and what you're about. So should I then. I, I remember thinking about this quite a lot like some years back I worked in youth policy kind of um, government and stuff and I and I actually sometimes found this idea that just age alone as a way of like grouping people or even making whole I don't know policies for them or whatever sometimes felt a bit strange like obviously in some times is needed you know at a certain age everybody goes to school or at a certain age everybody's experience is maybe whatever of, of leaving school or maybe going into university or work. And so we do have experiences that are about time, right? About the time in our lives, but is it too much of a broad grouping? You know, when we just talk about young, you know, young people today believe this, like young people today believe that, like, do you ever find that frustrating? Do you feel a bit like it's too simplified or that, you know, you're you're being viewed as a little bit too much of like a homogenous mass? Like is your age alone that much of a unifier that you can be identified by? do you think it's valid like do you feel there is something I think it's
0: valid like for the purposes of um what we're trying to do which is build a cohesive movement um I think there's there's merit to it as long as you don't forget that I mean intersectionalities exist and you know as young people we have very different experiences um within UKYCC like we we try to account for that by you know, reaching out to young people, um, you know, our counterparts in Global South and passing the mic when it comes to, especially at a, a COP this year with um, UKG hosting, um, you know, they were really keen for youth presence in lots of places and understanding that um, being young sometimes isn't enough to to justify you're taking a place, someplace where somebody else should be there instead of you, whether that's an Indigenous person or um, somebody from the Global South, that uh, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card to be youth. Um, but it does enable us to um, work well and like build a mass movement um, and, you know, we don't exclude people who aren't young either, you know, we, um, we welcome all activists to, to join in our actions. Um, but I think it's helpful once you remember that, you know, you're
1: not a homogenous group. So you've definitely touched a bit already, I think, on how, you know, how you might do this. You've definitely mentioned protest and, you know, shouting from the outside and, and you know, really being rooted in grassroots work. But how do you guys then as young people um, who we know, I mean, we're we're speaking now here from the UK, but you know, we know that young people don't vote, you know, in in as high numbers as older people. I mean, me and you might both agree that that's definitely not the only way to bring about change, but like, know maybe voting numbers are lower young people generally therefore are seen as a bit more disempowered in politics therefore policymakers don't try and politicians don't necessarily aim their policies at them because they know that they won't get their main votes there therefore young people continue to disengage and it just kind of is a bit of a loop right so if you are seen to be a less influential um group age group or whatever how do you get heard like either either you personally, but or certainly in the group that you work in in the networks you work in, do you have methods? Like how do you go about it?
0: Normally, yeah, young people are not the, the ones making these the decisions. Um, but civil society is powerful. Um, you get your power by being part of a bigger group of people that have uh the same goals and they're calling for the same thing I mean um the youth strikes like the last four years that it was their protest it was protest that kept 1.5 degrees in the science around that that kept that as like the indicator of of success for cop and this narrative of climate justice is now quite mainstream and that was civil society um fighting for that too um and and there's power to be had in people power and mass movement and i think uh the youth climate movement understands that and that's where they they see their power and um there's a significant amount of of ground that can be gained by operating effectively there and the more we do it the more the better we get at it um and it works.
1: Well, that leads me quite nicely on to, um, we always want to leave our listeners um, with quite tangible, um, like actions that they can take. Like the aim with this podcast is definitely that people almost take it as a bit of a guideline or a recipe for how to become more, you know, um, mobilized, you know, how to go about creating social change. And that can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming for people if it's maybe their first sort of attempt at it (laughs) or if they've just gone oh my god the world is like on fire it's melting there's nothing to do what do I do so for anyone listening not just young people definitely not just young people but um, some tangible steps imagine someone's a bit new to wanting to engage Um, what are things that people can do Um, micro macro level that might Start to bring that change, or at least start to maybe energize themselves.
0: First of all, it's so normal. Once you once that reality hits home, and once you realize what what exactly is going on, it is very very normal to despair and um, and be really afraid. Um, the first thing is to understand that it is not on you as one person to change. The world to fix the climate. Um, you should think about your life, and figure out the groups that you operate in, the platforms that you have access to, and then find a space where you feel confident and you feel safe to start to have these um, conversations. Ideally, a space that has other people and a space where you can have fun. Um, because it's a long road and it's not going to be a quick fix, um, and then to not have it put it all on your own shoulders, you have to learn how to rest, and resting is a radical act, and it's important to remember that you're in it for life,
2: basically it's the life
1: sentence. <laughs> so um, pace yourself. We've definitely heard that one before. The pace, the self care, and the fun. I, I feel like we've almost had every activist on this podcast of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds say those things to us. So they're obviously ancient and new messages. Um, so that's so that's actually quite good. It's good. It's good when some things feel like there's methodology to them in this crazy world. Um, so I guess I mean kind of drawing to a close but we ask this of everyone who takes part in this podcast um, which is about social change and therefore hopefully getting to that sort of change but when if ever do you think your work will no longer be needed
0: Mm. I really wish that I could also end on a hopeful note Um, but I think never, um, never take your foot off the gas. Um, I think, hopefully, our work will never will will eventually be um, less consuming. Um, but, um, you know, we have to mind this this planet and the next generation will have to mind this planet and the generation after.
2: And hopefully there's many, many, many generations after that. So this week, I've got another international guest. I've jumped from Australia to Uganda in East Africa. And Uganda is unique because it's the country with the youngest age structure in the world. A massive 77% of the population is under the age of 30. And I'm speaking to one such young civilian called Ola Tom Lakare, a 20-year-old from northern Uganda. Ola heads a youth in permaculture community-based organisation as part of the International Permayouth Network. He also runs permaculture training and regenerative agriculture projects in communities recovering from sustained violence or war. Now, we first discovered Ola because he was the 2020 Youth in Permaculture prize winner and a judge on the spring prize that we hosted. He believes that youth shouldn't wait for better and sustainable communities to be handed over to them, but rather should collectively come together to create it themselves. So I sat down with him to explore why he thinks this and what that might look like.
3: My approach towards the fight for climate justice is uh, more of proactivism. We believe that uh, the time has come, yes, an idea whose time has come cannot really be toppled. So uh, right now, very many young persons, me inclusive, have stepped on board, you know, to contribute towards uh, the fight for climate justice. And uh, I'm looking at it uh, in the more proactivism way, like coming in and doing a thing or two about climate justice. Uh, We in the Global South, we are experiencing this climate crisis more of first hand than those who perpetrated. Um, perpetrated. So down here, what I could see the fight should look like is uh, people should get on board acting more or than talking. So I am looking at uh, fighting for climate justice in a more practical way that people step up small action if combined together can make a positive difference. So when we step out and act, you know, we reduce on our consumption, we, we cut on our simple emissions and uh, step in. We have a lot of um, ways and solutions that we can uh, bring on board to help uh, address this climate crisis that we face today. And two is also bringing those ones who we look up to as leaders, you know, to, 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 to act, to put up policies, you know. Putting pressure on the system to put up policies that can better put us in place to win this fight against climate crisis. So I'm looking at um, young people trying to uh, do more of the action part of it and also put in place um, pressure to those in the system to act. Uh, we have solutions right underneath our feet. Uh, we have uh, various ways we can topple this uh, climate crisis. You know, trying to. Uh, uh, a case in point, we have this permaculture, we have regenerative agriculture, uh, we have um, more of, uh, uh, we have also tropical agroforestry in place. So all these solutions, if we embrace them, we can be in position to uh, better you know, fight uh, the climate crisis we face today while also bringing justice to, to those who are affected. So that's I'm um, looking at how the fight should be like more of practicals.
2: Yeah, I I love that term, practivism. And you've definitely been practical in your activism. I'm so impressed with your list of achievements at at such a young age. Um, And one of the things that really stood out to me is that you've said that the youth shouldn't wait for a better and more sustainable communities to be handed to them, but they should actually create them themselves. Um, And I was in a meeting the other day and there was a young person there. I think they were around 16 years old and they said, for us, this isn't like theoretical or objective. It's it's destruction of the planet. is really personal. Um, so I wanted to actually ask you as a young person yourself, why do you think that young people are so invested in the climate movement? Is it that young people tend to be more optimistic and socialist and more radical and more energized around any change? Or is it personal, like that young person said, and rooted in the fact that to be quite blunt, you have very little choice because this is your future. We we mentioned in our introduction as well that there are many damning stats around how young people feel. For example, one of them is that 60 percent of young people internationally, globally, feel worried or extremely worried about climate change. So I'm trying to establish um, what motivates young people. Is it sort of a sense of responsibility? Is it just a general sense of um energy around social change? Or is it because this issue specifically um, is so personal for young people because it's, it's rooted in their future?
3: Globally, they say we, the young people, really don't understand so much about this climate crisis. We don't have a, a thing or two about the, a deeper understanding. But I can attest to you that we understand so little to the fact that we are bearing the consequences. We are directly being impacted and our future is at the stake here. And um, talking of a future at stake, that means even though we might not understand deeply into it, but we can feel the effect of the crisis on us. That is why we feel we cannot wait. We feel we cannot be left behind. We feel we need to contribute a thing or two as a community of young persons. Because if the, those we look up to, as people to rectify these mistakes and mess are not doing a thing, then we feel it's uh, weighing on us You know, we the young people, we we feel we are marked with guilt. We feel um, we are the one causing all this, yet it's our future which is at stake here, you know. We do all what we do at the moment because of the pressure that the future generation puts on us, the young ones, which is our generation at the moment. So now we feel the pressure, the weight, you know, the recycling, the reusing, you know, to re-educate people or now to better adapt to what is happening at the moment. Yes, the crisis is here and is here to stay. And it's up to us whose time is now to pick up a pace because the older generation looks as if they have failed, you know, and they're trying to blah, blah around and leave us in a dangle of what will we do So we feel, yes, I agree with that young 16 year old. We feel a sense of responsibility because it's our time and it's the future at stake at the moment. So we feel it's our personal responsibility to contribute and also get along with uh, what's happening at the moment, coming to terms with reality and better contributing to change the direction upon which uh, this um, planet Earth is going.
2: And do you think that there are any specific tools that young people have available to them that maybe the generations that came before don't, that actually make them better place to fight for climate justice? So some of the things I think about, for example, is young people are so interconnected through things like social media, technology. I mean, I'm speaking to you from Glasgow and you're in um, Uganda, you know, so... Do you feel that there's some things that young people have available to them, some tools or resources that also mean that um, they have, they're in a better place to fight this? Because after all, as, as we've sort of established, some of the generations above have been theorising about this for a long time, but there's been very little action um, and practivism, as you say, that has actually led to sustained change.
3: Yes, yes. I, uh, one of the things that is giving us a leverage is um, we, the young persons, understand each other, you know, given the fact that we are in the same category, same thinking, and same wishful, we, 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 we connect by the fact that we want the same thing and we are in for the same cause. And the, 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 the media, as you have mentioned, has given us a point to connect from across. We cross, we cross arms from, from different continents and we fight for the same cause. So that has given us... Um, a, a leverage upon which we could work together. And uh, two is the fact that um, we are facing the, the, the reality, the fact that we are coming to terms with reality that the older generation is trying to shy out from. The fact that we are seeing the adverse effect of climate change, the adverse effect of um, crises such, uh, such as the food, food crisis, the environmental crisis happening for and gives us the point to to work together. And the fact that we are in this together gives us that leverage point that the older generation has not failed to to, to pick from, yes. And
2: and I want to talk a little bit about influence as well. So you spoke a little bit about influence of policy and policy change. And I wanted to ask you, what methods do you use to get heard? Because um, one of the issues that we have in the UK where I am is that young people, for example, don't vote in as high numbers as older generations and that has a cyclical effect because it means that not only are their voices not heard because they're not voting for who is elected but also those running for elections and those that then gain power aren't targeting policies at them because they know that they're not the people voting so when young people do vote we often see that they vote differently so for example um, in the Brexit vote whether the UK should leave the EU young people overwhelmingly said no because less young people turned up to vote we left the eu and things like that um so i wanted to see whether you had any um advice on how to get your voice heard from um, an international perspective
3: when it comes to uh, climate policing i I need to admit that uh, the young people are totally left out of the bracket totally out of the circle now when it comes to climate policing you find that um the who are adversely affected by the, the, the climate crisis are not, in play, are not in the rightful position to speak up, to share their experience, and to share what they're going through. Rather, a group of people who think um, they're they seeing what is happening and they, they need to drive the, the nation or the globe along this line, they come together and decide for the, the, the vast majority. So um, when it comes to climate policy, uh, it's, it's indeed true that we, the young people, are really left out of the circle. But as coming together, the networks, such as uh, Friday for Future, we have gang up together as young people, you know, to bring up our voices. And indeed, we are sending a message to the system. I know that um, uh, small and slow solutions always get us up there, but the, the issue is when will it get us up there? So now I believe uh, that uh, we need to go back to grassrooting. You know? Everything begins right back from the grassroots. Like from where I am right at the moment, our grassroots policing is quite favorable for the young people to speak up. And our leaders, not all the leaders, really don't understand what's happening. Yes, it's true that when you come to a local leader deep down in Uganda and you try to discuss with a local leader about climate crisis or about climate change, I assure you, a, a leader doesn't even know what climate change is or what the climate crisis is all about. And you feel you're bland, you, you, you're not even discussing. But the group of leaders who understand us and has given us platforms, like for us here in my region, every Sunday we have what we call the youth talk. So every Sunday we are given the media, we are given the local radio station to speak to the nation, to speak to the local communities about the climate, and how we can go about with it. And, uh, we have been given opportunities to enter into youth clubs you no know, community youth clubs uh the climate clubs the tree clubs all these avenues has been made possible by some of the leaders who could understand our situation so if at all we could bring up and share this similar experience on how things are going in the various part of the globes we could at one point get a uh, a way of channeling our voices up there you know and uh, by acting and by putting more pressure onto the system I believe they will listen.
2: Yeah I think you made a really important distinction and point there which is the micro and the macro and how the fight needs to happen at both levels and simultaneously and actually one can affect the other so the things we can do in our immediate environment to spark change and like you say that often happens at the grassroots where a lot of change is happening and experimentation and action. And that actually by working at that level, you naturally influence the other levels that are higher or have more power, I guess, in terms of political power and things like that. And I think working at both levels is really important. And a lot of our guests actually say that working at the grassroots is where most change happens um, and they notice most change can happen. So I think you made a really important point there. I want to ask, actually, because obviously it's really powerful and exciting and invigorating to see and hear young people fighting for change but I wonder are there any consequences (laughs) of placing so much weight on young people's shoulders both for the young people like are there any consequences on you as a young person doing this but also have you found that it has an impact on sort of the levels of knowledge or expertise that the movement has because obviously young people are young they've been around for less time Do we lose some of the historical learning, some of the wisdom, some of the expertise that might come with lived experience? Um, And how might you interact with older generations as well to learn wisdom? You started our conversation by thanking the land and thanking the people that have come before us. So I'm interested to know how that works as well.
3: There's a lot that will impact us, the young ones who have taken up such a heavy task, you know. To stand up for the nation, to stand up for the future generation comes a huge consequences and a huge sense of responsibility that at times it becomes overwhelming. You know, we feel the pressure and uh, you feel this heavy shouldering that comes on you and uh, be like, uh, all the generations, all the generational problems you're bearing, yet you're looking at trying to fix up a few things here and there. Yes. There's um, In the process, there's always learning, relearning, and unlearning in the process. That is the beauty of activism. So all this, uh, yes, there's a lot of pressure that we feel, and at times you could skip schools, skip personal schedules, just because you're pushing in for a, a very important uh, goal that you have in mind, that we're trying to uh, better place ourselves to fight this climate crisis that we face today. So I can say there's a lot of relearning and learning and relearning all the time again and trying to go back to the traditional people the wisdom that we learn yes there's a lot of uh interaction between because um we i believe and i know that uh humanity has been in harmony with nature for a millennia and uh, all this mess started a few uh hundred years ago so if we go back and try to trace root try to discuss with the elders how did you do it how did you make it through because Our elders try to complain. When when you engage them in the discussions, be like, how are you current generation living? No, these are some of the things we we, we, we lived without, but you currently cannot do without, you know? So all these avenues of learning, relearning and unlearning helps us, you know, to better build ourselves, you know, to to come up as a generation to to, to step in. Yes.
2: And, and you said something earlier that I find really interesting. You said we understand each other as young people. Um, as someone who's under 30, but not as young as you, quite a, a little bit older than you, um, I've been reflecting on how much I feel bonded to other people purely based on age versus other things like shared values. Um, do you find that age is enough of a unifier when you're fighting for change, for change? Or do you feel connected to other people more based on like your values and your interests and your passions versus based on your age, because I find that quite an interesting concept that we can be bonded purely based on age. Um, And I also wanted to ask you under that same question, do you think that actually segregating ourselves into categories like age, gender, race um, is useful or do you think it does more harm to, to when
3: you're fighting for change? Uh, it does more harm than good because at this point we need every voices we can laugh out there. We need every strength, every addition. Age is just an addition to the bucket list, you know, but the major idea is uh, the major unifier is the idea, the passion and, 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 and the choice, you know, we all have the free will. Then a, a lot of young people out there like me, who are sitting there waiting for, for, for things to be rectified for them. So that, so the choice, the ideas, the passion, and the responsibility, the sense of responsibility and the age, because when they say um, like-minded people always kind of click together, but age, we shouldn't segregate ourselves as young people uh, with age, races, they would just add more, uh, no, more brutal to, 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 to the whole thing. So I think um, segregating ourselves of uh, in terms of races and ages would not help us do much you know, but rather coming in together, fitting in ourselves where we can best contribute as young person would better put us in a place.
2: Before we end, I want to acknowledge that we're both Africans. (laughs) I'm from West Africa, Nigeria and Ghana. You're you're joining from Uganda. And I'm really excited to be connecting with um, people on the continent of Africa in this series. That's really exciting for me as someone in the diaspora. I think it's impossible to remove that context from the conversation. Like you mentioned earlier, rightly mentioned, we know that many of the effects on the climate have been caused by the rapid industrial development of the global north. And whilst the impacts are felt everywhere, they're most adversely affecting the global south. And there's a few things under that that really interest me. So the first would be, how might our current focus on the climate either hamper or enhance the potential of countries in the global south to then develop? And whether these countries should even be um, aspiring to reach the same forms or levels of what is considered development um, as their Western counterparts. Um, as a young person in Uganda, what would, or, what would you say is your vision for the development of Uganda or even Africa more widely? And that's a really big question. But yeah. if think about the fact that now we're focusing on climate. It means that we're essentially saying, OK, no one else is permitted to to develop in the same way that we've developed in the West. Um, But what does that mean then? What what are there other ways that we might develop whilst also protecting our climate? Because we know that what's happening now is very much a direct threat on even being able to survive. You know, And I think it's an exciting way. it's, It's exciting in the sense that it allows us to think of different ways. But I also am very aware that Africa has not really... In recent history ever been able to make its own decisions about what it does because it's constantly been hampered and influenced and exploited you know so i wanted to take the opportunity to ask a young person from africa if they had any ideas or visions around how we might join the fight for climate justice with um, an exciting way to develop africa the
3: development of a nation is far much uh, bigger than gdps and profits so for africa to step in for africa to come you know uh it's it's true yes africans we african nations we always come very late on the dining table when everything is served. so for us we just hey africa this is your share so we need to realize that uh, to 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 better put ourselves in 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 position to fight this climate crisis we need to re-educate ourselves because knowing what the climate crisis is all about, the causes, the impact, all this, an African child needs to be educated, an African mind needs to be educated all about this climate crisis. It's very true, I can attest to you, when you fly over here in Africa and you begin trying to um, do your research on African understanding of climate crisis is far much below than an understanding from the West. So we need to re-educate ourselves and in re-educating ourselves we are putting ourselves because uh we have all the capacities you know and our emission is still very low that if we counter react we can be in position to um uh better win this fight better than the west so we need to re-educate ourselves and in re-educating ourselves we would find avenues of development and in avenues of development we are developing in an all-round manner not uh development measured in GDPs and profits that's how I look at it's all about education and knowing what the big fish is when Africa knows what the big fish is we can go fishing and win it
2: I love the way you put things there <laughs> your metaphors are really powerful and um yeah I couldn't uh, I couldn't agree more and it it angers me also that many of the efforts of the west and I'm saying that in inverted commas um often end up still negatively impacting the continent. So we know, for example, that in the West, there's this massive drive to recycle, but a lot of that so-called recycling is just dumped (laughs) in Ghana, for example, you know, or even we get told to donate our clothes to food banks. And I've been to Ghana and seen like literally just dump the clothes there, you know, or yeah. So a lot of, I think people need to be made aware of these things, even when they think they're doing good, they're actually (laughs) just, Almost shifting the the impact to another place. Um, And on that note, what responsibility, um, if any, do you think that the global north has to the global south to rectify things? Um, I'm sitting in Glasgow now, it's not where I'm from, but I'm here because there's going to be an international summit happening um, in the next week here. If you had the stage there, what would you want to say to the global leaders about this?
3: Uh, one thing I would say to the global north is uh, that they are heavily indebted to the global south and that they have a big responsibility and that they need to uh, clean up their mess and by that they need to first accept that uh, what is happening is because of their indecisiveness and their incapability to decide and to act in time and accordingly um, because when when you look at the, the, the rapid industrialization of the global north and the effect is uh, disappropriate, like, like you mentioned, it's always uh, kind of zeroed back down on us, the South. We suffer more, yet we contribute less to the table. So the Global North has, uh, is heavily indebted to us, and uh, by, by so saying so, they need to step up, you know, come to terms with reality and begin making decisions that can put us in place, you know. We know changes, are fast and radical changes is not always desirable, but step by step, we can, we can win. I think a lot of people listening
2: will agree with what you're saying, but it can feel overwhelming. And I think it can especially feel overwhelming when we're in this capitalist system that doesn't give us much time to think. Most people are living on a, um, in a space of survival, so you're just trying to go to work, you're just trying to make enough money to eat, to sleep, you know, you don't have enough time to even think outside of that. So if people are listening and they agree with what you're saying, but they're feeling overwhelmed and they're wondering, what can I do? Especially, I think, as I have this opportunity to speak to someone on the continent, I want to ask if you have any messages for people like me in the diaspora, what can people do to support what you're doing, but also... To change their actions in their everyday life that might make an impact on the fight for climate justice?
3: Uh, What I would say is always um, a small act, small action will always get us there, so uh, it, it can at times be overwhelming, you know, you feel the burden, you feel the pressure, you feel the time running out, but every small action that you take to uh, account for your carbon footprint, to account for your uh, every emission, to account for um all this we do today it's worth it. So um every small action will get us there. That's the small measure, message I would like to leave to the to the young ones out there that every small act you'll take will definitely make a positive, big difference. Because if five of me makes this same small act in a, a in a recurring period of time that would be a bunch of a whole group of person doing the same so that means change is always going to be inevitable so every small action will always be worth it and it's going to get us up there
2: great and the question that we always try and end on with our guests is a hard one but we'll see what your answer is when do you think if at all your work will no longer be needed can you can you foresee a time when you'll no longer need to do the work
3: that you do? Oh, yes, this is quite the hardest question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm really not so sure, but as long as I'm still standing, I'll keep doing what I have to do and uh, I'll keep pushing through unless I see the change I would love to see. Yeah. And what is that change? Um, a better tomorrow. Uh, a climate... Uh, a climate-accommodating uh, planet, uh, uh, a, a world where people and animals, every living species, all living in harmony like it used to, a world where uh, people really don't put um, wants above needs, profits above needs, a world where there's respect for uh, everyone. It's, it's just all big. Okay, a brand new world, I can say.
2: Hey, that was nice to get some young energy on the episodes I mean not to call any of our previous guests old and expired but <laughs> I feel like the general vibe of this episode was a lot younger than we usually have and that was nice to get that energy wasn't it Mona?
1: Yeah I mean I feel like um, almost sort of uh, you know the, the, the age or not I don't know but you know the, just a real um, clarity I, I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know these are just people who just seem like so clear on what they're working towards it is so obvious to them right it's kind of like well you know you did say in the intro that this is a generation of people who have never lived in a world where you know climate change wasn't considered a crisis or an emergency so it literally feels like it's just a given to them and they are so Determined in in fighting it and and just seemed to be kind of completely unwavering and um you know unapologetic in that like it's just the thing to do and it's obvious.
2: Yeah, no that that also was really inspiring for me and really encouraging because one of the things that I was thinking as I was talking to Ola and listening to Sinead is that it's so. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find a more sophisticated word than cool, but it's so cool that young people have access now through language and connection to one another because many of the things that they were talking about and their thoughts and their experiences and the things that young people in general are very vocal about now are are things that I think we all experienced as young people and I don't think things have necessarily changed too much but what has changed is that young people now have a certain access to language and resources and tools um, both to learn about things but also to find people that resonate with them and that have the same opinions and that have the same thoughts and to build communities and they can do this internationally like I just dialed up and spoke to someone in Uganda you know and I think that this is amazing but then also on the other hand I wonder if it's healthy for them um, how much of an overload it is. It's hard enough as an adult. I mean, technically, I guess I count for the purpose of this episode as a youth, just about sneak into the category. But as an adult, I often find myself feeling overwhelmed and hyper aware of everything that's going on in the world. And I wonder if that's healthy for, for children. Like childhood is so short and part of me feels like it should be like joyous and innocent, um, but then not necessarily ignorant, I guess. And I guess that's where it's important Innocence doesn't have to be linked to ignorance, um and childhood is when a lot of our thoughts and habits and understandings of the world are built. So maybe it is good that they're hyper conscious of these things. I don't know; it's hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Ola, as we said, is only twenty, um and he did say it is about. You know, he did say it's overwhelming. Yeah, he did he said, say feel constant guilt. Yeah, and you stuff. know, I do feel mm. burdened. And I have to say, when sort of you know Greta burst onto the scene in the last few years, and again, as much as it's incredible and it's inspiring and in many things I often genuinely would look at her and be a bit like you know I mean because she's so young as well yeah, right she, you I know think she was
2: 15 or 14 when, when she first came. Yeah. and
1: I'm just thinking yeah as you say like there is something um very precious about a childhood and I remember when she had come to the UK maybe last year and or I can't remember when actually now because you know COVID took over our lives but there was a a big debate on twitter and stuff for a while about how i think maybe um like th- th- our gov like she was meant to meet kind of our world leaders and you know i don't know someone hadn't turned up to meet her because they were doing something else and everyone was saying you know they should meet with greta and i remember kind of thinking on one hand yes because she's you know standing for this cause which is so you know as we've just heard like crucial and so um at, so critical but on the other hand, there was part of me that was like, what is it a 14 year old is going to go and sit down and speak to a politician about? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to simply, um, you know, protest and raise your voice and at least bring attention to the cause. But actually around a, you know, boardroom table or a policymaking table, what is it we're expecting a 14 year old to come and present other than you know, obviously anger and discontent, but actually, I don't know, is it policy development we're expecting her to develop?
2: Do you know, that's what I found really interesting about your conversation with Sinead, because I thought her response to your question was actually quite, in, it was it was powerful in a way, um, because I completely sort of align with what you're saying there. But then when Sinead spoke about the importance of entering as early as possible, I think she made some really, really valid points. Um, and the idea about, The longer you're in a place, the more institutionalized you become, I think is really valid because when I was thinking of what makes young people, I guess, take things on, take movements on. I was thinking, is it energy? Is it because they have time? But actually, the thing that stood out for me is probably because they're less cynical. Cynicism hasn't quite kicked in yet. And I think... Sinead's point is right the longer you are somewhere the more you get worn down even if you do start with some form of radicalism you get no's constantly or you just start trying to survive or there's other things at the forefront of your mind or you actually start thinking actually this money making is kind of good I've got a new skirt and a new car and a new house and you actually buy into the system so actually the younger you are I guess the less that optimism and enthusiasm has been eroded and the more that you're Willing to push for things, and the more time and resource you have to do that. So yes, I I comp- it's a it's a hard balance, isn't it? I completely agree with you. There's some experiences needed, and almost yeah some understanding of institutions as well, because at the end of the day, they are how they are, and change actually requires certain processes when you're inside of systems. But also that energy of youth, if we could somehow capture it and <laughs> maintain it, mm-hmm. that would be great.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. If you could sort of almost pair. I don't know, every very veteran expert with a kind of young person mm, and they had to like exactly. work in pairs or something. You yeah, know, so, can so if we could have um,
2: like Ozara, um, her notes given to Greta because she gets through the door. <laughs> They'll let Greta through the door, but with like her voice in her ear, like one of those little, um. what do you call Mer- those? Pieces, d-? yeah, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> no, would be perfect yeah. because we've got the knowledge, but we've also got, because I think some of the reasons that they allow young people through the door is because of that. They they think that, oh, what is this person really gonna do? You know? But yeah, I can have a headline where it says I'm meeting around the climate yeah. and I can have the picture and it makes me look like I'm doing
1: something, you know? No, completely, completely. Like we spoke about in the episode, you know, our last episode, you know, actually is it sort of diluting the radicalism a little bit when you sort of have world leaders apparently also posing with grant you know, with activists and stuff, you know, you know, is that does it just start to become a bit token? And, you know, you we hear a lot about um Uh, You know, one of the critiques, I guess, that comes often from older generations to younger generations, you know, at the moment is around the way that maybe their generation, having grown up with social media, with Twitter, with Instagram, are maybe just needing everything to be a soundbite. You know, everything has to just be 150 characters. There is no depth. There is no, you know, like their their attention span is apparently very, very short, you know, so they're only going to absorb something very brief, but they're not going to dig into it and learn about it. But actually was interesting what Sinead said, that actually she believes they're more discerning. She believes they're more susceptible to spotting fake news and stuff, perhaps because they've had to grow up around the Internet and, you know, learn to navigate it in a way that maybe older generations haven't. And I thought that is an interesting one. I'm unsure, actually, still, yeah. because you were saying earlier that the whole point of something like Instagram is making everything shiny and quick and you know just photographic and not necessarily a massive research essay and that's that's this generation isn't it yeah it's funny um
2: again I don't quite know where I stand with it because I do think there needs to be some depth and some nuance to conversations but I actually find it as someone that's kind of obviously involved in media and interested in media I find it so impressive how young people are able to sometimes get really complex um uh, theories and Etc., and explain it to one another in one minute TikTok videos. Like, I've actually learned about things yeah. from TikTok in this really fun way. They're doing a dance, but they're also telling me, like, what structural racism <laughs> is. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, cool. I want but- to see this structural racism <laughs> dance, I think. <laughs> It'll be like one hand here. Racism is one yeah, yeah. hand here. You can't see me, but I'm telling you, it's really entertaining.
1: You <laughs> have always- to show me that. I have never been on TikTok in my life, so I'm obviously revealing that I'm outside of the youth category. That you're missing been- out, I'm Mona, missing I'm telling out
2: you. <laughs> um, but the thing is, with that, is I think it's important to build in it. So the thing I like about stuff like that, and I think I said this in our media episode, is it's very democratic, both at the point of creation and at the point of distribution. So anyone that has sort of a phone connection um, and an internet connection, preferably, can access this information. And that means that hopefully globally we can have, well, obviously access to these things globally is not equal, but hopefully we can have a certain foundation of knowledge, and even if that's not deep, it's there, and we have certain language and terms that are sort of understood on a foundational level. And then I guess it's each individual's responsibility to dig deeper into that and to add on to that learning. So I've now, I think it will be hard for someone to say they haven't heard the word, um, I don't know, racism, but the levels of understanding of what that is might be different. And it's our I guess, individual responsibility as well as institutions like schools, etc., to actually build on that and to further increase. How much people understand around those things?
1: Yeah, and um, I mean, I mean, where we, you know we're, we're coming to, the, we've come to the end of the season. We've kind of almost gotten like even more mobilized right, right at the end or whatever. But um, I guess in terms of sort of takeaways, um, you know, what I, I feel like every episode there was some reflection on the fact that this the that climate, you know, climate. Um, change let's whatever is now at such a critical level it is becoming so imminent that we literally need to tackle it from every possible angle like everyone needs to go at it um you know even, even all I was saying you know what the, the the divisions are not useful like actually dividing us by age and race and gender and whatever we literally just all as humans need to just kind of fight this cause um and from every from from the, from the fringes, from the mainstream, from the stages of COP, also from the streets, from the grassroots, from the institutions. I mean, everyone, almost regardless of their background, whether it was Ruth from a massive corporation like Lush, you know, whether it was Assad, who's been an activist, his, you know, his whole life or whatever, we're just kind of saying, we don't ha- we don't really have time to waste anymore. Like this is um, this is too critical and. Ruth very interestingly spoke about, maybe I've had to just slightly curb my radicalism Mm. because there isn't almost time to be too idealistic anymore. Um, Don't tell the young people that, we need your idealism still, please. (laughs) But I don't know, like. Yeah, everyone's sort of
2: got a role to, to occupy, haven't they? And again, like you say all of our guests have spoken about it but especially in this episode both of them spoke about the importance of combining the macro and the micro Mm -hmm. like you say and i think we coined it in maybe the last season the marathon and the sprint where there are the short things you can do like go to a protest um but there are also the longer term things that require more um sustained action and more stamina like organizing and creating groups and going to meetings and making policy and all of these things and they all need to to exist in together and that's why I think it's important that we discussed with both of them also existing in official spaces and institutions um, like interacting with governments because although um, in the learn section we sort of saw the statistics of how much distrust there is, unfortunately these spaces do need to be interacted with for change to happen as much as all of the other spaces outside of the system do.
1: Yes, and um, as always, we would really love to hear from you. I mean, if you are also a young person, um, you know, under 30, as we've defined (laughs) today, um, do you feel that um, di- taking this on is a burden or do you see it as your duty? Do you see it as your place in the world? Almost like, you know, what it's kind of meant to be for, for your generation or do you literally just think, well, whatever, it doesn't really matter what it is, we just need to get it done. And so we're doing it and we'd really love to hear from you if you are, you know, have been fighting for this your whole life, if you are many, you know, kind of, de- you know, if your generation's further down, but you're still on it, like ha- has it changed? Has the movement has the culture of the movement changed? You know, do, what, do, you, do we feel that we're making progress or do we feel that actually we're losing some of the radicalism? We would really, really love to hear from all of you who've been listening to this season. Um, and also what, what's happening where you are? Like what can people get involved with?
2: Yeah, and on the flip side of that, if you're looking for things to get involved in, if you've listened to this and you've been energised, there are loads of um, youth-orientated organisations around climate change, around climate justice, around environmentalism, and we'll link those all in the description. Uh, Places like XR Youth that I've mentioned, Connect for Climate, um, UK Youth Climate Coalition, where Sinead was from, Fridays for Future, there's loads of them, and we'll list all of those in the description for this episode. Um, like Mona said in our intro, this is gonna be our last episode of this season. Um so that also means we'll be taking a break. And as Sinead said, and lots of our guests,
1: rest is a radical act. So I'm hoping you'll allow
2: us some rest.
1: <laughs> hope you all agree. Um no, absolutely. Um and um in in the sort of spirit actually of wrapping up yet another season, um I I um just just to show you sort of how um how much we listen to our listeners i guess and you know how connected we get with uh with the grassroots and you know where this work takes place we had one of our listeners called renata contact us i don't know a while ago now maybe sort of six months or so ago you know really are you know singing singing the praises of the podcast saying that she listens to it all the time shares it all the time sending us loads of ideas she inspired our education episode Um, And she was from Cardiff and this weekend just gone, I was in Cardiff and contacted her and I literally ended up in her guest room. And so I had an amazing weekend with um, a family who were literally sort of, you know, plugging at social justice in all different ways in Cardiff and spent some incredible time with her two teenagers who, again, speaking of like young people, I was so blown away by kind of how insightful they were and and how interested they were and like i don't know it, it was it was a lovely experience so first of all thank you very much to renata and her family because i we believe she's still listening but also yeah like get in touch if if you are interested in anything we've spoken about um then we'd love your couch to sleep on. yeah i was going <laughs> to say some encouragement
2: there and also a word of warning that yeah. if you do get in touch we will move in with you <laughs> yeah. um, but no that's a really valid point where we started was actually traveling around and mm-hmm. looking at different examples of social change and then covid lockdown all of these things sort of halted that but if you are in an area that you think we should come and explore mm-hmm. do let us know get in touch you don't have to have us on your couch <laughs> we do know what we do know what like sort of a hotel or an airbnb or an alternative more sustainable alternative is so don't worry (laughs) we're not committing you to hosting us but um uh, it would be good just to learn about these spaces and see if we can reinstate that again
1: no absolutely and um i guess yeah just final thing to let everyone know that our next season we continue in the spirit of collaboration um and we will be releasing a season with the new economics foundation and shared assets all about land which is a fairly obvious progression on from the climate is basically the earth and the land that we all live on um so we will be exploring all aspects of land justice what does it mean to own land who owns it how do we access it what do we do with it what do we build on it what do we grow on it what don't we do with it what don't we grow on it what don't we build on it so Um, if any of you again are listening and have anything you'd like to share with us ahead of us recording that season please do get in touch as well
2: yep and the ways to get in touch that follows on so nicely um, as scripted <laughs> and it wasn't and it, it wasn't, wasn't it wasn't so if you want to get in touch we are on social media that evil beast but that also way helps way us stay connected. connected to one another <laughs> at untelevised underscore tv on twitter and instagram you can also email us at talk to untelevised at gmail.com and the two is the digit two and is there any other way to get in touch just, to think
1: now. <laughs> just like manifest it <laughs> yeah. just think of us and we will feel you <laughs> you in the
2: ether <laughs> oh a way that we will feel you though is if you follow subscribe rate and review <laughs> and please 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 rate us if you haven't already because that really helps with algorithms and all of those beasts that help us get seen and help more people join the conversation if you listen on spotify spotify have recently added rating feature so you can also rate us there
1: <laughs> um i think that's it that's all i think that's in, it right? i think we've been talking for a long time Thank you, everyone. Um, Yes, fresh start to the new year. We're excited. Um, And yeah, we will be speaking with you in, I don't know, maybe a little month or two.
2: Yeah. And all of these places, including our website, um, untelevised.co.uk, will still be active. So don't miss us too much. We'll still be around. (laughs) All right. Take care, guys. Bye.
1: Call me a dreamer. Idealistic believer, with my head in a cloud. I don't want to calm down, but my feet are planted on to start the ground. But my ground, my ground is a cloud.